Chad Robinson here, the host of The Practical Broker and Mortgage Broker at 360 Best Interest Mortgages. Today's episode features a very special guest, Bruce Firestone. Bruce Firestone has a PhD in urban planning. He's a realtor. He's a coach. He's one of the founders of the Ottawa Senators NHL hockey team and a complete wealth of knowledge. In today's episode, we go into a deep dive on clients and people that are moving from the residential real estate game into the commercial real estate space and some things that they really need to look out for, some opportunities that they're coming up with, as well as you know areas to navigate and what to look for. In the second half of the episode, we go into this amazing discussion about how the current world crisis is really affecting real estate and what are some opportunities and what are some risks that are going to be presented. I hope everybody enjoys the episode and have an amazing day. So thank you, everyone, and welcome to uh, another edition of the Practical Broker Podcast. Chad Robinson here, mortgage broker and host, and I'm really excited today to be joined by a good friend of mine, um, Bruce Firestone. He has a PhD. Um, he's been a real estate investor, a business coach. He's a um, real estate broker, essentially on Explorer Realty. And of course, as he's really well, well known here in Ottawa as uh, one of the founders of the Ottawa Senators. Um, did I cover everything there, Bruce? I think it's uh, your resume can go on for quite a while. You've been involved in so many projects. Well, you know, I, I've been a real estate guy. I've been a university professor. I've been a hockey guy. Uh, I'm a real estate investment and business coach. You, you know, one of the problems I had, uh, Chad, with the media when I was being more closely covered by the media than I am now. As you know, they have more important stories to cover than somebody like me. But uh, one of the problems that, that they had when they covered me more closely was they couldn't really fit, uh, you know, uh, me into like a little tiny box. You know, if you've got <laughs> Prime Minister Trudeau, he's the Prime Minister. Mr. Trump, he's the President. Uh, but, you know, when you do as many different things as uh, I've done, uh, it's hard to categorize the person. And that, that the mainstream media don't like that much. And, and I was never very popular with them. Yeah, that's okay. That's because, you know, entrepreneurs and trailblazers, you know, they're not always popular. Yeah, yeah. The know, other end. Exactly. I mean, you're an entrepreneur too. I know that. And and we tend to, to maybe follow the rules, but maybe not all of them. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and that's what makes us who we are, right? And why we can I think so, yeah. Oh, well, listen, thank you very much. Um, as you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this um, on this call today and this podcast is on the Practical Broker podcast, I try to give some actual practical advice. Um, you know, there's so many podcasts that just talk in theory and they don't actually give actionable items for people, especially in the real estate. Right. Um, and, you know, I thought you were one of the, because you've done so much coaching and your education as a professor as well, um, I have so many clients that want to transition from residential investment properties no. going into the commercial. And it's, it's, Sometimes it's, it's an inch, but it's also a mile wide, that chasm, that chasm. And, uh, and that's where I wanted to really go into today, get into that. Um, and then a little bit after, after we get into that, obviously the world's in crisis right now. Um, we're in the middle of uh, the COVID yeah. crisis. Yeah. And, you know, how investors are, are faring with that, both residential, commercial, and, sure. and some opportunities that might, um, might lie once, we, once the dust settles. And, uh, and how to make sure we're all in a soft landing from our real estate portfolios and, and that kind of stuff. Sure. Great. Let's go. Perfect. Um, so when, you're, when your clients are, are thinking about that, they've owned a typical investor, you know, you, you bought one or two properties, you have a duplex or a triplex, and, um, and they want to transition up 
you know, they're always looking mm -hmm. to hear and better. Right. Um, what, what do you, what's the first step? What do you tell your coaching clients that step one, sure. what do you start looking for? I, I get it. Um, so just so you know, the difference between residential real estate and commercial real estate is, is as different as running a shoe store and managing Facebook. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg runs Facebook and, you know, Bill and Jane run a shoe store. They're not the same businesses. And I think it's really important for people to recognize that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the skill sets that investors and people that you and I talk to, entrepreneurs have developed, you know, when they own a few duplexes, a couple of triplexes, maybe a tenplex here and there, you know, they have developed some skills, no, no doubt about it. And they say, well, now I'm ready to build a 50-story, uh, you know, office building. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> and, and I wrote an article a few uh, years ago now that if uh, somebody gave you, uh, a, an inexperienced uh, commercial uh, person, um, a free office building in, say, downtown New York or downtown Toronto or downtown, uh, you know, Hong Kong, they wouldn't actually be doing you a favor. And you must say, what? You know, a billion dollar building in, in the middle of downtown Hong Kong, free? Uh, I'd take that any day, except that that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, what's going to happen is all of your competitors who are very sharp and have been trained in this field for decades, many, some of them centuries, have been at it for centuries, they'll steal all your tenants. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you an example. Back in 2009, 2010, when we had that economic, the last economic meltdown, right. which was called the Great Reset, yeah. uh, which and this one that we're going through now is about to be much worse. Mm -hmm. But we, we went through it before in 2009, 2010. And uh, a, a friend of mine, he was not a client of mine, just a, a man I know, he's in the Queens, uh, had a 40 or 45,000 square foot uh, vacant uh, commercial space in Canada, which is in the West End of Ottawa. And it's a big part of uh, the tech community in this, in this area. Yeah. And, and, and it was vacant for three or four years. Now, if you have a, a 40 or 45,000 square foot retail plaza or office building that's vacant, you know, you can have operating costs and property taxes and maintenance costs of about, you know, uh, 15 or as much as $20 per square foot per year. So right. if it, let's, we'll just pick a number. If it's uh, $15 per square foot uh, per year, if those are your property taxes, operating costs, you know, utility costs, all that stuff, because you still have to heat and then cool the building and take care of it. Yeah. Uh, and it's 40,000 square feet. It means you're losing $600,000 a year. Yeah. And, you, you know, in Ottawa, Toronto, San Francisco, Boston, Los Angeles, Seattle, Austin, Nashville, these wonderful cities in North America, they have vacancy rates in residential that are practically zero. But in commercial, the vacancy rates can be anywhere from, you know, six, seven or 8% to as much as 20 or 30%. Right. And that is a killer. So even if I gave somebody who's inexperienced a free office building, I might not be doing them a favor. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned an office building of that size. Um, one came across my desk in a smaller market here in Canada, newer yeah. construction. And uh, it's exactly that. It's 20% occupied. Um, investors are trying to buy it. They're bleeding almost what you, the number you pegged off, it was 600 well, grand a year. I, I, you know, I have a lot of experience and there was a recent trade of three office buildings in Ottawa. And I won't mention it because it's kind of unfair because I have a bit of inside information. Um, right. it, it, a really nice, well-located complex. And when I looked at the vacancy rate, I almost fell off my chair, 25%. If Chad, in your uh, residential real estate portfolio, if you had 25% vacancies, you know, you'd, you'd be out there uh, jumping off a bridge. Well, not really, but you know, a big, big problem. 
So For let sure. me just point out a couple of pros and cons. Okay. So I do have lots and lots of uh, you know, clients. You know, my coaching practice is is, uh, is about 420 people. So it's not huge, but it, it is what that's, it is. That's significant. And, and, you know, it is, it's grown a lot since you and I last talked. And, and, and a lot of these people do want to transition. And so some of the pros, I wrote them down before we got uh, on this call, is there's no RTA. There's no Residential Tenancy Act to deal right. with. That's In a big commercial, one. Yeah, it's a big one. In commercial, uh, if a tenant stops paying you, you give them or yeah, you give them a letter within a day or two. And 15 days later, you can distrain, which means basically lock them out. Anything that's left inside, you, you're the landlord, you own it. Right. And, uh, you know, in 15 days, you're, you're looking for a new tenant. Uh, so that that's a, obviously a big change because in the commercial world, governments generally, not just in Ontario, but around North America and probably overseas too, they view commercial transactions as being uh, between two equal parties. Right. Uh, so tenants are knowledgeable and, and well-advised. And of course, landlords are experienced and well-advised. So they, the, the government doesn't tend to get involved. In residential transactions, they assume, and, and rightly so in most cases, that landlords have been doing this more longer than most tenants. And so it's a bit of an imbalance. So the governments have stepped in all over the place to sort of rebalance it. Right. And some people think it's gone too far the other way. Absolutely. So maybe before we get too far down this conversation is, it, you know, the definition of commercial is really broad, right? Commercial mm -hmm. could be a chip stand or it could be a mixed use residential Absolutely. building, all the way to office buildings. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do have, I do have some, uh, uh, I'd like to tell a story if that's sure. okay with you. Absolutely. All right. Um, and, and, and I'll end, I'll start the story with the ending. Okay. All right. Um, uh, you know, I like to tell stories I, I, love it. And, and ask my wife, I only have one addiction. It's not to alcohol or drugs. Uh, it's to writing. Yeah. It's my only addiction. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, uh, so the end of the story, it, the lesson that I learned was to stay away from big mules. That's an expression I learned from a, a, a young woman who is a client of mine. She lives in South Carolina. Okay. I said, what the heck is a big mule? Well, in her world, a big mule is like an equity lord. It's a big player in the real estate industry. It would be like you and me challenging Usain Bolt to a 100-meter race. Right. He's probably going to win. <laughs> yeah. Now, right. I, I actually timed myself. I, I can beat Usain in the 100-meter you know, uh, uh, race, mm -hmm. just so you, all your listeners know, as long as I'm allowed to start at the 90-meter mark. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So I, I was thinking driving myself. a motorcycle, but... Yeah, well, motorcycle would be fine, too, but uh, I can actually beat Usain, but I have to start at 90 meters, and for you, probably 80. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm a lot older. So, so what she meant by that is there, there's a lot of uh, people who've entered into the commercial uh, sector, real estate investment trusts, trusts, REITs, uh, pension funds, insurance companies, banks, publicly traded firms, and they generally have a cost of capital that's 1% or lower. And, and you're a mortgage broker, and an excellent one too. And you know that if I was a, a young person investing in commercial, my loan to value ratios are probably going to be 65 percent mm -hmm. uh in, in in residential it might be as high as 80 or even 95 percent depending on wh where you're at right. but in commercial you're going to need a lot more equity uh maybe 35 percent of the deal has to be equity mm -hmm. and you're competing against very large players who have a a very low cost of capital. My cost of capital in commercial might be anywhere from four and a half percent to six and a half percent, and their cost of capital is one percent. So they're going to beat the heck out of you. Right. 
Right. And I learned that because I, I was building in, in my early days, I was building office buildings and shopping places. And guess who I ran into? I didn't know they were called big mules, but that's what happened. So, right. so that, that's kind of uh, what I would stay away from. But there are some things that, that you could do, and I, I will talk about how you might pivot to something that is amenable to young entrepreneurs, or maybe not so young entrepreneurs. But first, I'm going to tell you the story, the beginning right. of the story. Awesome. Uh, so when I was doing my PhD in urban economics at the Australian National University in Canberra, um, uh, you know, my dad came to see me. I, was, I think it was in my last year, and he said, Bruce, I need you to come back to Ottawa. My dad was living in Ottawa, Canada. I was living in Canberra, Australia. You can't really get much further apart unless you're in the Antarctic. And he comes to visit me and we, he, he, we'd had, my wife and I had had our first baby and he wanted to visit his newest grandson. And so he came to visit and he said, I just need your help back in Ottawa for six months, just six months. So in 1983, it came to Ottawa from Australia. And I found that my dad and I think three partners had invested in roller disco rings. Do, do you even know what they are? I do know what a roller disco is. I've never been yeah, to one. Possibly. But... You're way too young to know what a roller disco ring is. I think it'd be fun if we had one now. I guess. Well, you couldn't You couldn't go today. No, not... um, so, so I didn't know what they were. I mean, I, I don't know if they had disco music in Australia, but I didn't know anything about it. So I went to one of these things. And, uh, you know, they're huge buildings. They're like one acre uh, uh, warehouses, you know, with high roof. That's yeah. all on one level. And they've got this beautiful wood floor in there. And they've got the disco lights and the disco ball and Donna Summer's music. You know, Donna yeah. Summer, yeah, she was, I guess, the disco queen back then. Yeah. And, and so so you, I, I didn't have roller skates. I rented a pair of roller skates. And you, you skate around like this yeah. at a music place. And then it stops. And so, oh. I guess I'll have to stop. And then everybody goes quiet and then music starts getting, and you go in the opposite direction. Right. So I did that for an hour and I thought, this is really bad. Um, and I took my roller skates off. Thank the young lady who had rented them to me. And the next day I called up the other three partners and I said to them, guys, uh, we have six roller disco rings. They said, yeah. And I said, um, you guys, we, we own half of the operating business and they own half of the operating business and we own half of the underlying real estate and they own half of it. I said, I'll trade you our half of the operating business for your half of the real estate business. And the three men, they were older than me, I was in my 20s then, um, said to me, oh, you're a young man, we don't want to take advantage of you. The, the operating business, uh, you know, the roller disco business is a cash cow. And I said, you keep the cow. I don't know anything about roller disco. I really don't. And you obviously do. So you keep the cash cow and you just rent from us. And so they said, well, we'll take pity on you, Bruce. And they, they made that trade. 18 months later, they went bankrupt. Right. And, uh, and so now we owned uh, six giant warehouses mm -hmm. uh, completely empty. Right. Now, some people might consider that a, a problem, but an entrepreneur is, you know, he's never dead. He's life challenged. Right. And, uh, you know, that's on my tombstone, you know, wouldn't back down. Um, so so uh, what I did was we were very lucky, really, nothing to do with any skill on my part, is it was the beginning of the tech boom in Ottawa. Right. And there was a company called Mitel. Uh, yeah. You know Mitel? You know, it's I remember a, that, yeah. You know, uh, uh, I guess, a communications company. And, um, and there were many others. And there was a, um, in the 1980s around that time, this would have been, I guess, the mid-80s or something like that. Uh, there was a, a management theory called management by wandering around, MBWA. 
And the theory was that, that uh, uh, if you're an executive in, in a tech company or any company, you should be able to see all your people. Okay. You should be able to wander around because the, the theory, and I think it's still true, that is that the most valuable meetings that you will have are often at the water cooler, at the photocopy, just yep. by accident. They're not all scheduled like this podcast. Right. And so, uh, you know, so the, everybody wanted to be on one level. And then we had these six giant 45,000 square foot empty warehouses and all these wonderful tech uh, companies moved in. And so about a year later, we had really good tenants paying way more rent. Right. Um, and I was able to get them reappraised. Uh, and as you know, in commercial, and of course, you're an expert at this, what to appraise something, all you need to know is what is the net operating income for that uh, property and what the applicable cap rate is. You divide the net operating income by the cap rate, you get a value. Right. Presto magic, all of a sudden, <laughs> these empty warehouses were worth quite a bit of money with these wonderful tech companies paying uh, really good rents. Right. And so you're able to refinance and pull out a whole bunch of cash. And that's how I got kind of got started. And here I am 37 or 38 years later, still here. That's amazing. I, that's a once, I've never heard that story. That's an amazing well, story. Well, yeah, I don't really tell it that often. But <laughs> um, so, so, so just to put a footnote to it, though, I started to build more office buildings and shopping plazas. I ran into these big mules, and I was renting office space for $18 or $19 per square foot triple net. Triple net means that in addition to paying their base rent, tenants are paying operating costs and they're paying utilities and they're paying property taxes and in some cases even percentage rents which means you get a percentage of their revenues so so i was getting 18 19 dollars and plus 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 and and plus and and uh, all of a sudden i had these these pension funds offering the same kind of space that i was offering for six dollars wow it would be like working for 18 or 19 dollars an hour and then your boss comes along and says chad bruce sorry tomorrow at six bucks yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's kind of happening now to a lot of people, if, if in fact they even have a job. So, right. so you know, you, you would have to be kind of, you know, uh, stupid uh, to continue to do what you do, knowing that you're going to get run over. So I did pivot. So I wanted to tell your, your listeners what I pivoted to, and it still works today. So I pivoted to mini offices. Do you know what a mini office is? Um, I do, but share. That's some okay. I well, it's, it, the modern term for it is co-working space. Right. So we became the largest operator of many offices in, in Eastern Ontario. You know, these are offices uh, fully fit up back then. It would have meant you have furniture, you have a phone, you have a fax machine. How cool is that? Yeah. You know, you have a photocopy, you have reception, you know, everything is there. So you can, you can start operating your business within an hour right. uh, and today the, the modern version is the co-working spaces so we had a company called terrace corporate centers limited which was very successful yeah. and i started another excuse me another company called PETA, p-e-t-a okay uh, that does not stand for people for the ethical treatment of animals nor does it stand for people eating tasty, tasty right. animals. it stands for presidential executive travel apartments mm -hmm. and it was airbnb before there was airbnb uh -huh. Right. And it was very successful. You know, we, we uh, had really good relations with tech companies. And when people would come from out of town, they would stay for a month or two months in a beautifully furnished uh, two-bedroom apartment uh, or condo or townhouse rather than staying in a hotel. And, and it was very successful. Right. And we also got into mini storage. You know, those mini storage buildings where you throw the garage door up, you put your stuff in, close it. 
Yeah. Real simple business, but holy smokes, that was a great business for us. And the other thing that, that we, we did was <clears throat> uh, we, we started to build small plazas as opposed to large plazas. Mm. Uh, until the internet can, you know, drill your, your teeth or uh, help you with some physiotherapy, these little plazas that we built and managed very successfully, I might add, um, you know, they're kind of internet proof, at least for now. Right. And uh, we did two other things. Uh, we also went into land development in a big way. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were putting roads and water mains and sewers in, and we were selling lots, not to home home owners. Uh, I didn't really like the business to consumer market, but I liked the B2B market better. It just suited my personality. So we would sell, if you were a home builder and you needed 30 lots, you'd buy them from us, and it was a very good business. And then the last thing that we did, uh, to again, to avoid the big mules, uh, is I bought 600 acres of land in Canada, in the west end of Ottawa, and we bid for a National Hockey League team, which turned out to be the Ottawa Senators, right. and we built a building that we called back then the Palladium, now Canadian Tires Center. And the idea was to buy 600 acres, which we did, uh, for $12,000 per acre, that was the average price. So we spent about $7.2 million on this piece of land. Right. But after we put the Sens there and the and the Palladium there, Canadian Tire Center, you know, in the last generation, the prices for land there have gone from 12000 an acre to 832000 an acre. So, wow. so, you know, those are the kind of businesses even today that, that smaller investors can actually get into. And many of my clients who are pivoting to commercial are doing these kinds of things, staying away from, from the people who will run you over. Absolutely. So what is it about the smaller shopping centers that protects you from, you know, coming up against the mules? Well, uh, first of all, uh, the, 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 you know, uh, a, a REIT is not going to buy, you know, I built a 10,000 square foot plaza in a little village, Robin. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's in the West End of Ottawa. Yeah. <clears throat> I owned a, a, some land around there and I was building a subdivision. So I, I like the idea of having, you know, there were a few hundred homes we were building there and having a shopping plaza because I, I really like the idea of giving people a place to walk to. You know, right. if your child wants to go get a popsicle, in, mm -hmm. in many subdivisions that we have built in the last 50, 60, 70 years, you have to get put them in the car. Right. You just can't walk anywhere. Yeah. You know, we're still building subdivisions with 3,500 homes in a row without a, a single job or shop or pub or nothing to walk to, nowhere to go, and every trip is a car trip. I didn't believe that. So in Dunrobin, when we were building a few hundred homes, I built this little tiny 10,000 square foot plaza, and I put uh, two young women, uh, Julie and Cindy Delahunt, in there. They ran uh, the Dunrobin Meat and Grocery. Then there's a Lickbo there, if you know what Lickbo is. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know what Lickbo is. What's that? Uh, it's the LCBO. Oh. My, my kid, I have five kids. They all call them Lickbos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so LCBOs, uh, that's Liquor Control Board of Ontario. That's where we buy our booze. Yeah. You know, when I came back from Australia, Chad, I was super, super amazed to, to find out that you had to go to a government liquor store in uh, Australia. Back when I was there, you drive up to the petrol station and right next to the petrol tanks were stacks of Tuis and Fosters, you know, yeah. and, and there were no laws against drinking and driving not that we should go back yeah. but uh you know it'd be nothing to put a, a twoies and fosters next to you and you know i used to hang glide fly off mountains with my hang glider my boys and my my group and we'd be driving down these back roads and a police officer would come hi mate you want a, a twoies or a fosters what do you prefer and you'd hand you know from you know past your seat to to the driver you, you, wow. you'd hand the, the police officer a twoies and he'd give you the thumbs up and drive on well that's obviously changed for the better now but anyway that's kind of what we were doing 
So where was I? I completely uh, yeah. lost my train of thought. No, I love that story. That's awesome. I know it was a small, um, the small commercial. This is a small plaza. So yeah. a couple other things that we do to make sure that we don't get run over. First of all, we pick great locations where you have lots of uh, drive-by traffic, lots of walk-to traffic. So, you know, lots of homes that are, you, you can walk to these plazas, which I think is important. The other thing that we've been doing a lot of in the more recent times is we've been adding um, to all of our plazas uh, what I call a playland. Mm -hmm. um, and very simple things. Uh, do you know what pickleball is? Um, I do. Yeah, okay. So pickleball is the fastest growing sport in, in, in North America. And the reason for that is that, uh, uh, you know, it's played with a wiffle ball and paddles, right? So if I were to play uh, tennis with my two sons, there's no chance. Or with my grandsons, there's no chance. I mean, they can hit the ball 85 miles an hour. And uh, Pops is a little bit old now. There's no way I can run it down. But no matter how young they are and how fast they run and how hard they hit it, in pickleball, when they hit that ball, it, it comes off the racket and stops. So right. I can run it down. I can actually be competitive. So older people, younger people, kids can all play together. So we've been adding to our, our plazas, you know, pickleball courts, uh, volleyball courts, bocce courts, uh, you know, outdoor ping pong. Uh, so the, the theory is if you, if Chad had a little pizzeria here and right next to the pizzeria, was a pickleball court or a volleyball, beach volleyball court. You know, people would really enjoy that, but they might drink more beer and, and order more pizza too. Yeah. That's a neat And it, it also provides great entertainment for people sitting on the deck, you know, watching uh, people like me struggle in pickleball or something, right? Right. So, uh, so we can do things as small investors that will really differentiate us. That, that trust me, a REIT is going to go and try and buy, you know, the Eaton Center in, do they still call it the Eaton Center in Toronto? I think so. Yeah, you know, they're going to try and buy the Eaton Center. They're not going to come to Dunrobin and buy my miserable little 10,000 square foot plaza. Right. But those things are, are really great to own. That's awesome. That's a that's a you know what? That's a great idea. Like you mentioned before, you'd like to animate your properties, and so you're you're animating. Well, we do that uh, in commercial too. You know, you and I talked about lots of animation ideas for for homes. You know, adding yeah. a basement apartment, putting a coach house in your backyard, adding tech packages, storage sheds, workshops. You name it, we add them to to our residential portfolios. But you can do the same in commercial. There's lots of really cool stuff you can do. That's a great idea. I, I love that. And then, you know, the small, the small towns, like you said, that walkability is, uh, yeah, that, that's really great. important. Uh, I talked to Jonathan Westindy from windmill developments. He's a, a fairly young developer. I have a lot of respect for, and, and the projects that windmill does that, that are very walkable because they do some really great uh, yeah. buildings, both residential and commercial. Um, and, and he said, the few that were not walkable, that you're kind of out in the suburb where you, it's hard even to get a bus. Uh, he said th the sell through for those has been very slow. So he said, no more of that. Interesting. So what do you, what would your first steps be if you're telling these investors, I want to get in these smaller plazas and these smaller things, you know, like you said, they might already own a sixplex or a tenplex and right. What is that? Well, about my, first my, first, my first, uh, um, my, my first advice, uh, is you should not go into any form of real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, without a business model. Right. And people go, well, business models, that's only for, you know, tech. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they think about, you know, the iPhone, and the iPhone has a business model. The business model is that Apple gets some of the uh, subscription feeds. Mm -hmm. Apple gets some advertising. They get some app store sales. I mean, there's a, all kinds of revenue streams implicit in this uh, uh, iPhone you know, um, right. and, and Steve Jobs, uh, unfortunately, passed away now. 
Uh, Steve Jobs understood that the business model would make the iPhone successful, not necessarily the tech. And uh, the iPhone, uh, we did an analysis a few years ago on the iPhone, and it, it's, in my opinion, the most profitable single technology uh, uh, ever created. And it's not because the technology is better than Samsung or, or, or Google Pixel phones. It's because of the business model behind it. You know, right. iTunes back in the day and Apple Music today and all the other uh, uh, revenue streams. So, so people come to me and say, well, you know, I'm going to do this project. So I'm going to build a fourplex in Russell. I'm going to build, uh, I'm going to buy some property in Moose Jaw. And then after that, I'm going to go to Arizona and buy some stuff. And then I saw a plaza over here that uh, is in the middle of nowhere, but I'm going to buy that too. Hmm. That's, those are just projects. They're kind of random. Right. Uh, and the people who make the most money, Chad, in pretty much every business are the people who are focused on a business model. A business model is something that's scalable and repeatable. Right. And so if you were developing, uh, uh, you know, triplexes um, and you were really good at that, or you're developing small retail classes, stick to it. Right. And, and, and you know, it, it's just like, uh, you know, uh, people who are saying, I can play baseball and I can play football. But at, at some point, you have to choose. Am I going to be a baseball player? I think the, the young fellow who won the Super Bowl last year could have been a baseball player as well, the quarterback there, Mahomes. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a ma magnificent talent, fun to watch. But at, even somebody who is as talented, really world-class, maybe a, a class of three or four or five uh, in the world with his skills, even he has to choose. And so for, for us mere mortals, you have to have a business model and you have to stick to it. Right. Absolutely. No, that makes sense. So focus, 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 and, and know your stuff, really. Yeah, know your stuff. And I know you do. I mean, I've seen some of the buildings that you've done and, and renovated and done structural uh, uh, changes to them. I mean, fantastic work you and Muriel have done. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of investors would say to me, um, and we've shifted gears now. The mortgage business is so focused, um, so busy in the last couple of years. We're just focusing on that. Oh, no, I, I, I completely understand that. But I mean, you know, don't undersell yourself. I've seen the stuff you do. And I'm not just saying because I'm on the call with you. I appreciate it. Yeah. And our, to, to your point, what we did was we focused on a very narrow area and a very narrow exactly. And I said, our tenants that yeah. we wanted to deal with were millennials. They were between 20 to 30, yeah. um, fourth year university to one or two years post-grad. And we had a very defined tenant model exactly. built to that tenant model um, and touch wood, you know, we're, we've done really well. There's very little vacancies, happy tenants. Um, so it's worked really well. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, I'm agreeing. But what people don't know, uh, and I'm going to tell you, so don't listen, Chad. What I'm going to tell everybody out there in podcast land is that Chad understands the zoning bylaws and ordinances better than almost anybody else I know, including most urban planners, including most urban planners who work for the city. And he's able to get the most, which means the highest and best use out of every one of the properties that he has owned and developed. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, it's true. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Don't be a dilettante. So to people who say, I'm going to do 20 things and I'm going to do them all well, you're probably kidding yourself. Absolutely. 100% agree. So Bruce, if you could go back in time and, and tell yourself anything back to the younger Bruce, what would you be, uh, what wisdom would you be passing on? I wish you hadn't asked me that. I saw that in your questions <laughs> that you sent me. I said, oh my gosh, yeah. I know exactly what I would do. Yeah. Uh, so I would go back to the 39-year-old Bruce Firestone. And uh, I would say to him, this is the, it was at the point in my career, uh, Chad, where uh, 
we had decided to buy that 600 acres of land in, in Canada right. uh, and to bid for a National Hockey League expansion franchise, which was eventually a success. Of course. Um, but what I should have done when I was 39 is we owned um, uh, 16 ground floor condos at Holland Cross, if you know where Holland yeah. Cross is in Ottawa. And um, what had happened was uh, we owned, uh, my wife and I owned 16 ground floor condos. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was a project developed by a Montreal-based family uh, by the name of uh, Berger. And I, I don't remember whether I called David or his brother, but I called one of the Berger boys and I said, how are sales, you know, condo sales going for Holland Cross? And they said, great, you know, what developer will tell you my sales are, are sucking, yeah. you know? The only word you ever get is great. I said, that's awesome, David. That's fantastic. And uh, that's good. How many of your ground floor condos have you sold? Mm -hmm. like, uh, mm, uh, I'll have to get back to you. Uh, David, how many have you sold? None. Uh, so th the reason for that is obvious. I mean, people, most people want, you know, second, third floor penthouse. They want condos that are higher. You know, the higher you go, the more expensive they are. But you know, you're away from the traffic and the noise. But what I really liked about those 16 condos was they all had uh, individual doors to the outside. So wow. you didn't have to go into the main building to get to these 16. They all could be accessed from the outside. So it was perfect for presidential executive travel apartments. Right. So I said, David, I want to buy all 16. And he, he, he's probably looking at his phone in Montreal saying, I have a sucker on the line. So he sold me, I think, uh, each of them for like $112,000, which at that time was like a steal, even yeah. then. Um, and, and uh, you know, I bought 16 of them. But what I didn't tell David was that we were going to use them for executive travel apartments. Like I said, Airbnb before right. there was Airbnb. Yeah. And so that, that uh, when we would have a technology executive or somebody coming to visit the government of Canada to do some work for a month or two months or three months, they could come at three o'clock in the morning. And back then we wouldn't have had electronic keyboards, but we would have had those old uh, lock boxes, you know, where you, you, you put the twist the or you push the numbers in. Yeah. And so people could show up at two or three in the morning. Uh, they could uh, enter the, the premises. They wouldn't bother the people on the upper floors, you know, the, the yeah. important people up there. Uh, and it was a very successful business. And we had, an, I think, another 12 of them, uh, 12 townhouses in the West End. So we had 28 units. And this was back in the 90s, I guess. Um, and, and they were, so 28, and there was no mortgages against them. Wow. And they were producing about $80,000 a month in gross operating income, about 50,000 in net operating income. Wow. Nice so man. what I should have done is I should have put those units in my wife's name. Because I'm an entrepreneur and, you know, entrepreneurs do take risks yeah. and it's a, it's a public story. Many of your listeners who will watch this podcast or listen to it know that, uh, that the senators did very well in our first year in the second smallest building in the NHL, we made about 9.6 or $9.8 million in earnings. Right. But by the mid two thousands, unfortunately, the Canadian dollar had gone from 90 cents when we bought the team to 62 or 63 cents right. and the NHL and NHLPA, the NHLPA are, you know, they're smart people. They decided to price all contracts in us dollars. So right. our payroll went from six and a half million Canadian dollars in, in, in our first year, 92, 93 to about 84, 85 million by the mid two thousands. And the sends went bankrupt. Right. And so everything I owned, everything that happened to my house, uh, you know, all the I mean, thousands of acres of land, all those buildings I had built, 
had run away. But can you imagine that, you know, restarting your career, not from zero, which would have been great, but from a negative position, because I still owed money to a bank and to Canada Revenue Agency, right. which is the Canadian equivalent of the IRS. And so, and those are not good people to owe money to, you know, uh, they have a nasty habit of wanting to be paid. So, so I was starting from a negative position. So I had to go back to school, you know, PhD notwithstanding. Yeah. And I, I think I took eight courses and eight exams with a real estate broker, became a real estate investment and business coach. And I had to restart my life. But can you imagine what a difference my life at that point would have made if I had put those, that one asset, which I really should have done, instead of being in my name, in my wife's name, in, in, in my wife's name, and she's a wonderful girl, but she's a stay-at-home mom, um, and, and with very low risk, and, and we would have, you know, back then we would have had $50,000 a month in, in income, and today much more. Yeah. Well, maybe not in the time of COVID-19, but, you know, hopefully yeah. we'll get back uh, to a more normal uh, way of doing things. So, so if I were to tell that 39-year-old Bruce, that would be the, for sure I would tell him that. Absolutely. Yeah. So protect your, you know, protect your assets, right? A little do, bit. Do, of, yeah. You know, it's, it's the shoemaker son who doesn't have shoes. Yeah. You know, I take care of everybody else and then, oops. It's funny you bring that story up. Uh, and I, that's again, something I didn't know about you. Um, I had a customer today um, that a, a purchase that they were doing, they were buying a commercial property yep. and um, was falling apart. And for various reasons, some on their part, some on the seller's part. And usually when commercial transactions go bad, everybody's blaming each other. Right. Oh yeah. Uh, but they were lucky in the sense that they had a company, a purchasing company that's buying in the company name and that has no assets. Um, so, you know, they said to their lawyer, well, they can sue me. There's nothing in there. Well, yeah, that, that's not unknown. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, you know, they, they got some good advice at that start. And, um, but yeah, so it's this time we're living in now, obviously it's a bit, uh, you know, we're in the middle of the end of March. Um, so depending on when you listen to this podcast in the middle of this COVID crisis and you're getting, as you mentioned before you, we jump on this call that all your coaching clients are freaking out and many of them. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are you telling them? What's your feeling going on through this crisis? Well, you, you know, I'm very hesitant to use the word crisis. Uh, you know, I almost never send out an email marked urgent if somebody mm -hmm. sends me an email marked urgent it's probably the last one i'm going to read that day right but but i i do think we are in a crisis i i, I don't think there's any way around this um uh, i think it, it is and i did a little bit of uh, homework i did a recent article for ottawa business journal i don't know if i sent it to you but i, I will uh and Please. and and what i i did was i did a bit of research and uh, i could not find chad uh, since the dawn of the industrial age in the early 1700s with the invention of the steam engine, from, from that time to the present, I could not find an example where a major economy, in this case China, uh, where their GDP, gross domestic product, dropped by 40% in three months. That's what happened in China in the first quarter of 2020. Wow. I, I could not find another instance of that. In the Great uh, Depression of the 1930s, uh, Germany and Canada and the United States, industrial production in those three countries did fall by over 40%, but that took about three or four years. Right. So I have not been able to find a, a comparable uh, time when our economy has dropped by 40%. Uh, I saw today that Goldman Sachs is estimating that the U.S. economy in the next three months will contract by 34%. Wow. Uh, and I'm predicting, uh, I mean, 
for what it's worth, that Canada will do worse. I think we will drop by 40% and in three months. So we are in a crisis. There's no question about that. So what I said was a, a few things. Um, uh, all, all of things that, that, that I think people will for themselves figure out for themselves. Mm. Number one, you should conserve your cash. Yeah. You should. So if you have a, a deal, I've had many, many, many of my clients who are in the middle of buying commercial property or residential investment property. Yeah. If, they're, if they are still unconditional, they are, they are getting out of those deals. They are. Not, not all of them, but many of them are. Because it's the other side of things, you know, you asked me about the SWAT thing, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Uh, over the next 18 months, there will be tremendous opportunities, in my opinion. In 2009, 2010, I sent out an email to my client base, and I said, this is an historic opportunity to buy real estate. Right. And, you know, I, maybe I can't do anything else, Chad, but maybe... I can talk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and 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 uh, I'm pretty convincing. You know, I convinced the NHL to give a, a auto and expansion franchise in the middle of a of a, a tough recession in the 90s, and right. we lost, we're, we were in the process of losing two teams, Quebec Nordiques and the Winnipeg Jets. Right. We've since got the Jets back, but the Nordiques are still missing. Um, and and so, uh, you know, it, it's it's incredible what the opportunities are are are, are likely to be. And so uh, a building that, you, you know, one of my clients, an industrial building they were, could buy today for $875,000, which they waved goodbye to, I think, yesterday, they probably could pick that up for half price in six months to 18 months. Right. And listen, it's the harsh reality is, you know, you buy real estate when everybody else is selling. Yeah. No one likes to hear that, but yeah. it is true. And in the last uh, uh, Great Reset, uh, one of my clients who was uh, working for the Florida Panthers in South Florida, uh, he bought not one but two homes on the same street, both of them under foreclosure, brand new homes, beautiful homes, not, not palatial, but they were advertised for sale for 875000 brand new. Yeah. He bought them from a Colorado-based uh, uh, investor who owned them for 350000 each. Yeah. Wow. Um, and then by, that was 2010, 2011. And then by 2015 or 16, they had bounced back to about 850,000. He sold one of them, paid off the mortgage. And now he lives in his own home. Uh, it's worth eight or nine hundred thousand dollars, or at least it was before COVID-19. Um, and, and with no mortgage and a few hundred thousand dollars, you know, in, in the bank. Right. That's the kind of opportunity I think that we're going to see in Canada and in the United States. I mean, when you your economy drops by 34 percent, that that is very, for an economy the size of, the, of America. That's yeah, just that's unbelievable. So what do you think, you know, being the commercial expert you are, I've been reading a lot of things about, you know, our whole work styles now are changing. I mean, this is right. known. What's happening in the office space market, do you think, and the retail? Well, I, I, you know, did you, you must have read my article over my shoulder <laughs> because I deal with that in my OBJ article, huh. all right? But I, I can tell you that on, what I say in my article, and like I said, I, after this conversation is over, I, I, I'll send it to you. And it has been published today, so you're 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 quite oh, free perfect. to share if you want with your 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 readers. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm going to send you the extended version because my editor always cuts me back. I'm too wordy. Uh, I'll send you the extended version. Perfect. And I'll it's include it for the listeners. I'll include this uh, link to the article in the show notes. I, I think you should, yeah. uh, because I, I think it's time for 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 Canada and the United States, frankly, for the whole world, to stop fooling around. Yeah. Uh, you know, we should not, you know, if somebody in your city or town wants to build an office building, 
that will house 500 workers, he or she, they should not be allowed to build that office building. End of story. No more office buildings unless you have 500 microsuites in that building. Right. So, you know, if you, you can use my iPhone as a prop. So if you have a, a building, you know, from here down has 500 workers from here up, it has to have 500 studio apartments or, or apartments or something. Yeah. We, we got to stop fooling around because it, it, Chad, we talk about going green. We, we talk about it. And, and the idea of being green here, here's the, the typical yuppies view of going green. You get up in the morning, uh, you go to your home gym, you get in your beautiful $120,000 Tesla, you drive an hour through traffic to go to an office building that has horrible fluorescent lights, windows that don't open, uh, bad air, you know, and, and while you're there and your, your suburb over here is empty, all the break and enter people go from downtown to your, your home to break and enter and steal whatever they can. And then when you get back in your expensive Tesla and you go back to your home, you know, those same uh, people go downtown and do whatever they do downtown overnight. It is a terrible model. Uh, right. We built better towns and cities in the 1880s, 1890s, 1920s, 1930s, and 1940s than we do now. Uh -huh. So we have to stop because uh, if you talk to Toby Luke at Shopify, Shopify is a big tech company in Ottawa. He'll tell you that we don't have any pro problems uh, attracting people to come to Ottawa to work for Shopify or in other tech, uh, but we have trouble keeping, uh, taking hold of, keeping them. And the reason for that is they, there's nowhere for these people to live. Right. And, and if I went to Toby or to other tech executives and said, look, Chad and I are going to build this nice office building with 500 uh, places for your workers, but we're also going to have 500 microsuites. I, I don't think you would be leasing those microsuites or studio apartments to individuals. I think you'd be leasing them full floors to these tech companies. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So it's a kind of a hybrid. I'm giving people a free model here. And, and so, you know, and, and if you think about going green, you're in a home office now, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. And I am too. And, and so, you know, my CO2 production, you know, if I put a, a full tank of, of, of gasoline in my car, this was not new. I've been using a home office for a while. It, that tank of gasoline will last a few months. Right. You know, I have an, I have an e-bike. If you know what an e-bike is. Yeah. Uh, you know, a little electric, electric scooter. I like uh, using it. Uh, I actually bought it for my wife, but she crashed it and said, I never want to oh, see no. this again. Yeah. So she gets the car and I get the scooter. Mm -hmm. And uh, I use the scooter. It costs, uh, I think, 47 cents a kilometer. That's no, right. Uh, 0.47 cents a kilometer. To wow. About a half a cent a kilometer to, to charge it. And it goes 40 kilometers. It's very, very inexpensive. So if we're serious about building better towns and cities, they're going to be walkable and we're going to get serious about, I mean, it, it boggles my mind that in Los Angeles, uh, people have sometimes two hour one way commutes to get to their job. It means four hours a day, 20 hours a week. It is out of control. We've got to get, we've got to be smarter. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's going to happen out of this, you know, I do think so. And in fact, uh, even before we pub I published this article, I gave it to our head planner, our top guy in planning and economic development, Steve Willis, to look at and his people, because yep. I said, you know, I've been hired as a special advisor on the new official plan for the city of Ottawa, which, which was due out in 2021. Now I have no idea if we're going to make that right. deadline. But I said, we, we just got to stop. The next person who applies to the city of Ottawa for a friggin' office building, we, we should tell them no unless you build 500 uh, studio apartments in it. End of story. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, make it mixed use, make it more dynamic and livable and- Yeah, 
and more walkable, more interesting. I mean, who the heck wants to spend the half of their lives in a, I was about to say some rude word, but in a, in a traffic jam. No yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's very interesting, you know, what now that we're all used to working from home, especially this goes on for a period of time. It's uh, likely to. Which is likely to, right? And are yeah. we going to need these 50,000 square foot monster buildings anymore? Well, I, I think we will still need them, but we'll need less. Mm-hmm. And, and because I still think a tribal gathering. So let's say you and I had a, a company with, you know, 40 or 50 employees, or for that matter, a 400 or 500 employees. Mm-hmm. We're still going to want to bring them together from time to time. There's, right. like, Zoom is a fantastic uh uh, I don't know if you saw the meme that was spreading on the internet. The real cause of COVID-19 was Zoom because <laughs> Zoom went had a public listing last year and their Zoom stock is Zooming, right? Yeah. Because the number of new subscribers is incredible. And thank God for AWS and Amazon Web Services because otherwise Zoom would never be able to handle this. We, we couldn't even talk on this thing today. So, so, so yeah, we still need office buildings. I call it for tribal gatherings for those, uh, you know, water cooler things that I, you know, the, the photocopier, you know, the management by wandering around stuff. We, we, but we're going to need a lot less of them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, you know, really good plug out to Zoom. Not that they're listening, but, uh, you know, I've been a member using this for years and all, you know, on this podcast, we've not noticed a single blip and there's being this system is must be inundated. I, I, I'm telling you the people at Zoom are, are, they're smart people for sure. Hats off to them for sure. Um, so on those opportunities, you think is there a specific asset class people should be looking for or those small shopping plazas? So, so uh, um, I do have to give people a bit of a heads up because I, you know, you're old enough to have seen a few uh, of these setbacks. I'm old enough to have seen a few more and your parents and grandparents and my parents and grandparents saw much worse. I mean, yep. as bad as it is right now, let's remember that my parents and grandparents and your grandparents went through uh, the Great War, yeah. uh, the Spanish flu epidemic that killed 25 or 30 million people around the world in 1919. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went through the Great Depression of the 1930s. They went through an incredible war, World War II. Uh, there was the Korean War, which Canada was involved with. Uh, there was the Cold War. And, you know, uh, and these things lasted a lot longer than two weeks or even a few months. So. Right. Uh, if I'm very confident that Canada and Canadians will will be able to handle this, um, and we just have to recall the, the the you know the greatest generation I think ever. These are the people who took us from the horse and buggy to the moon. Uh, they are now passing from the scene, and um, you know, like you said, uh, all hats are off to them. What they face down, you, you cannot imagine what it would have been like to, to, to live in, in the United Kingdom in 1939 in, in London and, and face uh, the onslaught that they faced. It, it's just unimaginable, you know. As bad as 9-11 was, it was terrible. Uh, my heart goes out to the people who lost their lives that day. Uh, but, uh, you know, what, what, what uh, Churchill said, I would remind Canadians today, to quote, uh, sort of paraphrase, I guess, uh, Winston Churchill, we should never ever 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 surrender right i agree yeah 100 percent. so you wanted to know what kind of asset classes i was going to just uh, finish with this um so everybody needs a home you know yeah and it is a travesty that we have forgotten how to provide affordable housing for our young people and how to provide enough housing for all of the people who are homeless it is a it is that is for sure Right. on your generation and my generation right. because the generation before us 
certainly knew how to build houses for returning veterans after World War II. Right. My father worked for C.D. Howe, the minister of everything in the 1940s and 50s. Mm -hmm. And between the two men and their department, uh, they established uh, Central Mortgage and Housing Corporation, now called Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. And we right. knew how to build great cities and provide enough housing, affordable housing for everybody. So it is on this generation that we have failed. That's political, urban planners, everybody, developers. So we have to fix that. But one thing I would like to say is we do need housing. And so as an asset class, when things get really tough as they are now, residential uh, values do decrease, but they decrease very slowly. Right. Commercial uh, values drop out a bit. So, so if you're looking at an asset class to invest in right now, mm -hmm. uh, residential is probably going to sustain itself better than say a retail or office, especially office is going to get whacked. Right. Yeah. Um, Industrial, however, tends to be sort of in between. So commercial is doing this, residential is doing this, and industrial is kind of in the middle. Because okay. we, we need people to, to make surgical masks. Right. We need, need people to make ventilators. We can't just rely on China yeah. to make ventilators and surgical masks for Canada. To heck with that. So there is another lesson here, Chad, which is that cities and towns have to be much more robust and much more uh, self-sufficient. So for everybody, I'm encouraging all of my clients, this year, you plant a black backyard garden. Don't fool around. You plant tomatoes and, and beets and potatoes. And, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago, everybody in Canada had a backyard garden and we could grow our own food. They've been doing that in Russia for, you know, hundred, I think a thousand years. So, so, if you're going to invest in an asset class, residential is probably going to be, uh, you know, the, the, the least affected. Right. Having said that, for myself, uh, I happen to really like it industrial. Uh, I own some industrial property and uh, I love the, the client base. You know, uh, if I have an industrial tenant and something goes wrong, uh, he or she is very unlikely to call me. If they, the toilet's plugged, they'll unplug it. If um, yeah. You know, somehow the uh, truck damages a, a wall. They're not going to call the landlord. They're just going to fix it. They pay their bills. Um, and, and there's going to be tremendous opportunities to pick up industrial product. And if you wanted to experiment with something, uh, in, industrial is the way to go for another reason as well. And I, I won't keep you too much longer because I know we've gone on probably too long. But uh, the other part of the industrial thing is that we're heading towards a gig economy. Yeah. A lot more people, I, you know, they're predicting 15% unemployment in the United States. It will be higher in Canada. It wouldn't surprise me if it was 20 or 25% in Canada, which is comparable to the Great Depression. Yeah. Uh, so we're in for, for a heck of a heck of a ride. So what, when, when we come out of this, it's my view, and I believe this for a long time, that everybody on this planet should have a personal business for life. I call them PB4L, personal business for life, you've heard me talk about that before. And we're headed, uh, we were headed in that direction anyway, but for the millions and millions and millions of people who are being laid off, including some of my kids, yeah. um, uh, they're gonna wanna develop a personal business for life, a gig. And when you have a gig, let's say uh, one of my uh, tenants is, uh, she makes furniture from wood pallets, who knew? Uh, you know, another one operates a lathe, a few lathes, uh, he does prototyping for the tech industry. You know. Everybody is going to, some people are making wine, you know, 
pickling fruits. Uh, people are knitting baby caps. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to have a personal business for life and they are going to need workshop space. So whether you're, uh, you're an investor in residential, build a workshop in your backyard. Trust me, there'll be a lineup of people to rent. It. Right. And if you have an 80,000 square foot uh, industrial building or an 8,000 square foot industrial building, divide it up into small workshops. There'll be plenty of people out there uh, knocking on your door. I need this space. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's an amazing business model. I would agree with you. That's, and that's uh, the silver lining. I think that maybe coming out of this is a resurgence of the buy local, but really a true heart to buy local, you know, keep whatever well, country I, you're in. Uh, my wife is planning our garden as we speak. Uh, there's a, there, even before this crisis, there, there's a, a movement sweeping the world called backyard homesteading. If any of your listeners uh, want to hear from me, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I have, uh, I've written, I don't know how many books I've kind of lost track and I've probably got thousands of articles that I've written on various things, including backyard homesteading. In fact, I'd like to build a subdivision where, you, you know, your house is, Chad's house and Muriel's house is here, Bruce and Don are here. And between us uh, is a completely open uh, backyard, and that is where you're going to have linear farms. Right. You know, where we can really grow enough food to, to feed ourselves and our family. And as I said, in Russia for a thousand years, they're called dashniks. dashniks that's a Russian word for gardener. Yeah. And on, on, on a very small piece of land, they're able to grow enough for a family of four. So we, we can do much better. Absolutely, we can. Well, listen, Bruce, thank you very much. I'll put all these links in the show notes. Thanks. And, can I uh, can I give you my one minute sales pitch? Yes, please, absolutely. So I am a real estate investment and business coach. You know, I'm very passionate about what I do. And uh, if any of your listeners are interested in a little bit of help to find the right business model, to help them with their financing, to find the right product, uh, to to uh, animate it and add more uh, revenues and new revenue streams. I'm available. I'm going to do this until St. Peter calls me to the big house in the sky. Uh, you know, it gets me up in the morning. I'm up early. So you can reach out to me at any time, bruce.firestone at century21, the numbers 21.ca. I'll repeat that, bruce.firestone at century21.ca. And thank you, Jed. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a plug, Bruce, you know, you is, uh, to my listeners, Bruce was one of my I'm one of the few mentors that I've had that I found I got amazing value out uh, out of in our conversations. And when I hired you as a coach, it really helped me transform and focus before I got into the developing world. Um, you know, what type of property you helped me craft that design of what type of tenants I wanted. And, uh, and it was your coaching and mentorship that let me do that. So um, well, thank you for that. That means a lot to me. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. And uh, the listeners, I'll put the email as well in there as long as the link to Bruce's website. And uh, your vision and contribution to Ottawa is uh, really grateful. Thank you, Bruce. And, and to everybody out there, uh, be well and stick together. Absolutely. Help one another. Absolutely. Thanks. Have a good day. What an amazing episode we had today. Bruce Firestone went into a deep dive about so many interesting topics I can't believe the GDP drops in the country that um, has never been seen in the world before and how this is going to affect us six months, one year, two years from now. It's truly a wealth of knowledge. And that article that he discussed is phenomenal. I encourage everybody to go check the show notes and read that link um, and read that article. Also about, you know, some of these opportunities, how to animate a commercial property. That was amazing. That's, you know, who would have thought about putting a pickleball court next to a small little shopping plaza? But that is a great idea. So a big shout out to Bruce Firestone. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. As well, 
He's a wonderful coach. He's a wonderful realtor. If you need to reach, reach him, check the show notes. His contact information is there and uh, stay safe, everyone.